You are listening to Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episode 445, The Superboy Chronicles, Zero Hour for the Kents. Substitute Podcasters. I'm Paul French, and today I am Birthday Dad Lad, part two, I believe, because I think that, I think I used that one last week because it's true. Um, but uh, you know, because it was Sarah's birthday on Tuesday, and we had family parties last week, and then this week she had her party with her friends, and uh, it was superhero themed, and. Um, so we had a Superman cake. She wore her Superman costume. Yes, I know you're going to say, no, Paul, don't you mean a Supergirl costume? And she would be the first to correct you. And this all stemmed from when Ella decided she was going to be Supergirl for Halloween and got a Supergirl costume. So Sarah decided, okay, then I'll be Superman. And um, so, yeah, so she was Superman. Uh, other kids came dressed as various superheroes and... Uh, and what was super awesome is one of the uh, one of the dads was given very specific instructions as to what he was to uh, to get gift wise, and so there had to be a Batman flashlight, um, there a book with, and he was very specific about which superheroes had to be covered in the and the one he found was fantastic, um, but also um, wanted to have a a Green Lantern ring, but it had to be something that Superman would wear. So what he made was a Legion flight ring out of pipe cleaners. And I posted it to the Facebook page because it was absolutely awesome. And I love the idea that, uh, that, that there was a Legion ring involved. So, uh, so yes, Sarah's been loving that and been uh, running around with it and, uh, and playing with her Batman flashlight. In fact, it was really difficult to get her down to bed tonight. And, well, anyway, so there's been lots of... Uh, Lots of things that have affected the timing uh, this week and last week, and uh, we will get back to our regularly scheduled uh, um, capturing of, of the various Legion uh, issues, and we will be moving back into the Superboy and the Legion uh, per the survey. Um, but uh, this week, um, just because we couldn't record at our regular time, I am going to uh, go over Superboy. This is New Adventures of Superboy number 19 uh, from um, July of 1981. And so this one, uh, we have the cover. Um, and on the cover, we have Jonathan Kent uh, laying on the ground. His hat is off. He's holding his arm as though he's been hurt. And, um, and Superboy is holding a, a guy, uh, sort of a red-haired guy, with a big rifle, a smoking rifle, I might add. Then he says, you shot Jonathan Kent. I'm going to... And Jonathan says, no, Superboy, remember your oath. Don't take the law into your own hands. And the cover is, of course, by Kurt Schaffenberger and Dave Hunt. And uh, it also lists a special bonus, a new Super Baby story. That's right. Also, we will all be shocked when we learn the identity of the mystery gunman. Okay, so... We uh, get into it, and 
uh, on the splash page, we have the um, we have uh, Clark and Jonathan are clearly camping, and this guy is hiding behind a tree with the sniper rifle, saying, "Finally, after all these years, I get to pay back the man who made me what I am today, Jonathan Kent. And to double my pleasure, I'll do the same to his son." They say it's true, Clark. It's true, readers. Clark was not the first child taken in and given a home by Jonathan and Martha Kent. Years earlier, the kindly couple took in another youth under their wing, uh, a juvenile delinquent who tried to rob the Kents of their valuables, and then, as an adult, robbed them of their lives. Zero Hour for the Kents, brought to us by writer Carrie Bates, penciler Kurt Schaffenberger, inker Dave Hunt, colorist Jerry Serpy, letterer Milt Snappin, and editor Julius Schwartz. Um, so we, uh, start off with, um, you know, the basic, well, we, we get, we get kind of a diary and, uh, <clears throat> where and when did it all begin with Corey? I've often asked myself, I guess the answer would be that sweltering August night on our farm. And, um, uh, Jonathan and Martha are in bed and, he, and they're saying, can you hear noises from the living room? And he says, stay put, Martha. I think we have ourselves a prowler. And he gets down there and uh, he says, hold it right there. I've got you dead to rights. And um, and the burglar says, lucky for you, you've got that shotgun, creepo. Uh, so they call then Officer Parker, who arrived, and Martha, and and so we learn that the, this uh, journal is being written by Jonathan. He says, Martha and I both realized we'd never be able to forget the pathetic look on that youngster's face as he was led away in handcuffs. Maybe it was because we didn't have a child of our own. Or maybe it was because we'd both experienced the same overwhelming pangs of of sympathy that night. And we see uh, the signpost at uh, Soames Reform School. And they say, but we found ourselves sticking our necks out for a juvenile delinquent considered hopeless by state officials. He says, I must confess, even though Corey Remwald is legally eligible for our new foster guardian program, you two are just asking for big trouble. There's, uh, But I can see there's no discouraging you. I wish you good luck. You're sure going to need it. After signing the necessary papers, we drove away from the Soames Reform School with one amazed and confused 17-year-old. I can't figure you two. You caught me red-handed trying to rob your house. So how come how come we volunteered to foster you for, th- for three months under this new experimental reform program? Maybe Mrs. Kent and I like a challenge. I get it. You two are liberal types who think it's your duty to do a good deed like this for society. Well, suckers, don't expect me to make it easier for you. I didn't ask for this, so as far as I'm concerned, I don't owe you nothing. And uh, true to his word, Corey was a real pain in the first, his first weeks in, at the farm. So this is back when they were at the farm, of course, because that's where they were with Clark uh, initially before they moved uh, into the town of Smallville and opened up the, the uh, general store. Uh, deliberately botching the cho- chores we gave him just out of plain meanness and spite that he'd grown up with. Martha and I remained good-natured and patient at all times. Oops, look how look what clumsy me did as he spills a pitcher of, uh, of water. And he said, nope, no harm done. That was a bad place for a pitcher uh, anyway. And finally, after enduring a month of Corey at his worst, we began to notice a change in the boy's attitude. At last, he was pitching in and doing more than his share of work around the farm. By the last few weeks of his probation term with us, Corey Remwald had virtually turned into a new young man. Thoughtful, polite, conscientious, the very opposite of the rebellious troublemaker Officer Parker arrested the previous spring. Even so, both of us shared some uncertainty. But Corey uh, truly turned over a new leaf. 
Or had he simply been putting on a big act, secretly waiting for the day his probation sentence would be over, when he'd be 18 and legally free to graduate from juvenile delinquency to adult crime? When the great day arrived, uh, Jonathan and Martha were uh, were there with... uh, is this the? I don't know who this is. Uh, he says, "I don't think I've ever seen a, as uh, such a dramatic change in one of our boys, Mister. Mrs. Kent. You must tell me the secret of your success." And Martha says, "Simply tender love and care." And Jonathan says, "It's the lack of TLC that causes kids to go bad in the first place." And that was the last time Martha and I ever laid our eyes on Corey Rimwald. Little did we dream then that fate would again place us in the roles of surrogate parents. A few years afterward, when we spotted the spectacular arrival of an infant from the stars, who has since become our beloved adopted son, and we see the rocket ship, uh, Kalal's rocket ship, crashing into the field. Uh, there you are, Jonathan. I've been looking all over the house for you. Um, <clears throat> he says, "What in the world are you doing up here in the attic?" He says, "This is the weekend. Clark and I plan to go roughing it. Remember, I was pulling out the camping equipment when I came across the old journal I used to keep during our years on the farm." You'll never guess who I was just reading about. But she knows. She says, Corey Remwald. And that's, yes. He says, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, how did you know? Oh, just my Clark intuition. Remember, that's, of course, her maiden name. Um, uh, besides, I find myself wondering about Corey, too, every now and then. Do you suppose we'll ever find out which side of the law he ended up on? Probably not, dear, although I've always chosen to believe we steered him on a path that enabled him to do something constructive with his life. Still, I suppose it's the nagging possibility that we failed with Corey that's kept us from telling Clark about him all these years. Enough dwelling on the past. I've got to get this camping gear into shape for tomorrow morning. But of course, sometimes the past has a way of catching up with the present. And so a, vet, a rented van is traveling across a country, along a country road outside Smallville at this very moment. And the voice says, uh, We must commend you, Agent K-5, on the superb efficiency you've shown since you met us at the Metropolis Airport. I concur with Conrad Kronslaw. Oh, this can't be good. And since our last meeting, may I say you are looking more typically American than ever. It sort of comes natural, Boris, considering I spent the first 25 years of my life here before I secretly defected to your country. Perhaps, but since we have sent you back into the into your homeland, you've, uh, you've uh, proven to be a superlative spy for us. <clears throat> I said, what is this? Traffic has come to a standstill. There must be an accident or obstruction on the road ahead. And, uh, um, and so, yeah, there is indeed a traffic jam. It looks like a sort of a fault line opened. It says, it looks like one of those earth tremors I heard about on the radio were more serious than I thought. The quake left a deep crevice cutting across the highway. I said, well, that could be dangerous, K5. You know how vital it is to reach the designated touchdown area at the appointed hour. To be thwarted by the elements after coming so far. Keep your shirts on, he says. We'll be moving again in no time at all, because we're about to be treated to the spectacle of superpowers at work. Look to the sky, comrades, for your first glimpse of America's celebrated Superboy. Astonishing. Why America, not us? Our reconnaissance and intelligence reports have kept us well informed of this space youth's astounding exploits. But witnessing in action is another matter. He's using that giant cement-filled ladle to repair the crevice. Which shouldn't take long before we can proceed on our way to the touchdown area. And after seeing Superboy firsthand, K-5, we appreciate why you insisted on planning a decoy mission to keep Superboy from disrupting our work. Glad you approve, Boris. 
says Corey. He says, I've no intention of permitting a mere teenager, even a super-powered one, to interfere with an espionage operation our government's been planning for months. Later that morning, the Kent house, uh, the uh, Superboy has returned from his road repair task, and he says, unfortunately, except for that crevice across Route 302, the damage from last night's quake was minimal. Glad to hear it, son, says Jonathan, but you're Clark Kent now, setting out on a weekend camping trip with your store-weary dad, which means no shop talk. You and I are taking on the wilds to get away from it all, not to take it with us. Fair enough, Pa, he says, for the next 36 hours, you won't see a glimpse of Superboy. And so as they go, uh, Martha says, have a good time and don't let Pa overexert himself, Clark. And he says, mercy, Martha, I'm not ready for an old folks home yet. Clark says, we'll be careful, Ma. So they get going and uh, notice some trouble. And uh, it looks as though it's something as simple as uh, needing some roadside assistance. And so they pull up alongside the... uh, the van and say howdy could you use any help and he says appreciate the offer now of course it's clark that's uh along this side and that's kind of why they pulled along that side so he doesn't really see everything he says i appreciate the offer but it's only a flat we can handle it but thanks just the same and have a good day and as they go away um he says clark says he sure seemed like a pleasant fellow and uh, Jonathan says, gosh, almighty, I don't think he got a good look at me, but I recognize that voice anywhere. That fellow was our Corey, all grown up. He and his friends certainly seemed respectable and law-abiding enough. I know Martha will be glad to hear that, but why am I being so secretive? I guess I feel un- uneasy because Martha and I again never got all around to telling Clark about Corey. But unknown to Jonathan Kent, his super son also harbors secret thoughts at this very moment. He said, thinks, when I was asking that man if he needed any help, my super hearing couldn't help but notice his pulse speed was racing wildly, which means he was abnormally uptight when Pa and I stopped. I couldn't say anything to Pa without breaking my promise about no Superboy talk on this trip. So I'll just keep it to myself from time to time, check up uh, with my supervision on the van and see what those three are up to. So meanwhile, back there, um... They say, we've completed the tire repairs. We'll have to make up for lost time. Our zero hour rapidly approaches. K5, are you all right? He says, uh, I'm fine, Boris. It's just that driver of the car reminded me of someone I knew years ago. Bah, most of these Americans look alike to me, says Boris. Um, but an hour later, several miles off the main uh, road deep in the forest, uh, Boris says, I do not like this. It is an omen that does not bode well for our mission. Of all the places in the woods, those two could have chosen for their camping site. They've picked the edge of our touchdown area. This unfortunate circumstance leaves us with only one course of action. What are two lives one weighed against against the overwhelming importance of our mission? I take it you understand my meaning, KF. Or K5. KF. Uh, He says, uh, as the Americans say, Boris, loud and clear. Um... And he says, Splendid. I already took the liberty of loading this special rifle with our newest lethal poison darts. Wow. He says, The discharges will be silent and death will occur three seconds after the darts penetrate the skin. He says, Impressive. Last year's poison took five five seconds. A moment later, the agent silently makes his way down the slope for a better vantage of his target. He says, Before there was still some doubt, but now I have none. The middle-aged man was Jonathan Kent, and the lad with him is probably the son the Kents had after I left the farm. The fact that it's Jonathan Kent makes what I'm about to do more, all the more difficult. 
but I cannot allow my personal emotions uh, to cloud my avowed duty to my country. He says, at times like this, a, prof a professional agent isn't permitted to be a human being. Said he must be a cold, calculating machine, infallible and incapable of error. And so uh, the silent trigger is pulled, and the darts make their way into the target's neck. So the first one goes into Jonathan, and the next one comes after Clark. Um, and the guys say, K-5 always was a superb marksman, even with moving targets. And the other guy says, so it would seem, but I, I detected something uncharacteristic in K-5 today. Oops. Um, it's something. Um, almost a slight glimmer of sentiment. I want to verify those fatalities firsthand, just to be sure. But Boris, zero hour is almost upon us. Should we not focus our attention on the on the Magna Beamer? Says I'm aware of our priorities, Kronslaw. A few seconds of this is all is all this will require. No more. And uh, um, Corey says that's not like you, Boris. Since when have you ever doubted my skill as an assassin? And he says let's just say I'm interested in personally observing the fatal results of our new poison at work. So he goes in to check uh, super uh, to check Clark, and he says, mm, "Not the faint, faintest hint of a pulse." I owe you an apology, K-5. He's dead, no doubt about it. He says the apology will have to wait. Because zero hour has struck, the American spy satellite has dropped far enough to be visible by the naked eye and is proceeding on the Magna Beam's controlled descent path. Follow me. So they get there, and they've got this, this sort of weird ray beam uh, aiming into the sky. Uh, so far, so good, Boris. At the present rate of descent, our magnetic field beam will ground the satellite within 100 seconds. And true to our geophysical research, the unique configuration of mountains around Smallville has rendered this touchdown area radar blind. But 100 seconds can be a long time, especially considering the superpowered youth known to frequently patrol the area. He says, you worry too much, Kronslaw. Did you not hear K-5 assure us that the van he installed, that the, the in the van that he installed the de decoy apparatus in place last night? He says, I planted the sonic, sonic disruptor inside the wall of the Smallville Dam, 10 miles north of here. One push of this remote switch, and Superboy will be kept so busy there will be absolutely no chance of his interfering with us. But of course, we see um, uh, Jonathan and Clark on the floor, and they and they're thinking he's dead. But he says, "But is he?" On upon closer in inspection, we discover appearances are not what they seem, along with a telltale hole on the far side of the body that suggests an underground tunnel has been burrowed from the scene. And um, and we see Superboy break out of the. Uh, of the ground, he says, "I just checked the I just checked Pa again with my X-ray vision, and super hearing. His pulse is steady, and he's sleeping peacefully. It's a good thing I'd been e eavesdropping on those suspicious three ever since their flat tire. From snippets of their conversation, it didn't take me long to figure out their enemy spies on a mysterious mission. So as soon as one of them mentioned the exact perimeter of their touchdown area, I made sure to suggest the same spot for our camping site. It was the only way I could keep on top of this situation without making breaking my promise to Pa about leaving Superboy at home." But the big surprise was when the agent called K-5, just when he was about to secretly use one of my powers to save Pa's life. Um, he says, my supervision re revealed that K-5 was secretly disposing of the lethal poison darts and loading his rifle instead with a mild tranquilizer dart that would only put Pa and me to sleep for a few hours. That's why I let the first dart hit Pa, knowing as long as those spies considered Pa deceased, he's safe. As for Clark's death, it was a simple matter for me to temporarily stop my heart when that agent felt for my pulse. 
I'm sure Agent K-5 was mortified to learn mortified to learn I had died from the tranquilizer dart, but like a real pro, he played it cool. Right now, though, the first order of business is the Smallville Dam. When the spy's sonic disruptor was activated, it started emitting sonic vibrations designed to call disaster. And we see a hole ripped in the dam. So, as tons of tons of water pressure uh, cause a fearsome liquid torrent to gush forth, he says those spies obviously planned this sabotage to keep Superboy busy long enough for them to finish their business and move on. The only trouble is they've underestimated their opposition. True, a dam break like this would be a major repair job under normal circumstances, but with a single intensified blast of super cold breath, I put this potential flood temporarily on ice, effectively leaving the spy's decoy crisis on hold. And making me free to zoom back to the satellite stealing operation and see what I can do to help Agent K-5. It's a good thing my super hearing picked up the faint but consistent hyperfrequency signals being emitted from his brain. Otherwise, I would never have realized that he's a double agent, a U.S. government agent posing as an enemy spy, and that's why he dumped the poison darts. Every word he speaks and hears is being automatically relayed to a CIA headquarters installation just a few miles away. But that very moment, there is an unforeseen complication. Um, the magnum beam is losing its grip on the satellite, and um, they're not able to. Kronslaw is not able to correct it in time. He says, "Oh wait, there. I have isolated the faulty relay. Now I simply have to hurry. The satellite is starting to slip from our grasp." He says, finished. The magnum beam is emitting a solid signal again. We are all finished, Kronsai. It is too late. The satellite has begun a free fall, plummeting through the sky out of our control. It will destroy itself on impact wherever it lands. Our mission has ended in utter failure. Um, but it's okay. Superboy's flying after it. He says, Agent K-5's mission was to make sure those spies succeeded in retrieving this satellite because it has been crammed with falsified data that will set back the enemy for years. This spiral wind I'm whipping up is allowing me to invisibly pull the satellite along behind me, far too fast for its onboard cara- uh, cameras to record any Superboy intervention. And, um, you know, basically, the idea is to uh, get this into the beam. Mission accomplished, he says. My super hearing informs me the spy's instruments have just told them they're back in business. Boris, this satellite must have been swept up in a freak high altitude wind. It's the only explanation. Explanation for what? The satellite is securing the Magna Beamer once again. He says that can only be an omen that our mission was destined to succeed. And they keep going on about how they're going to get all this data from the satellite and it's all going to make it worth it. Um, and um, how the American satellites are more advanced than their own. He says, but thanks to us and our mission, they will be able to examine this unit in minute detail. And within weeks, we'll have regained the tenure advantage in microtechnology the Americans have, have had over us. And Corey says, true enough, assuming we stop wasting time and get moving. Need I remind you of the two dead bodies back there? Suppose Superboy wraps up the damn crisis and finds us on the murder scene. A valid point, he says, uh, uh, K-5, take us away. And, um, of course, uh, Clark wakes up, and it sounds like uh, part pause starting to come out of it, and he says, well, boy, do I have a story to tell him, and he won't even be able to say I broke my promise about not letting him see Superboy in action. Uh, loopholes. Um, anyway, so we have an epilogue. 
The next day, a visitor drops in at the Kent house while Clark's in school. And, he says, and uh, Martha says, Jonathan, there's a man at the door. He says he was sent by the federal government, and he wants to tell us about, talk to us about Corey Remwald. He says, Corey, by all means, invite him in. After proper uh, introductions have been made, Jonathan and Martha are privy to an incredible tale of espionage and intrigue. He says, let, let me get this straight, sir. You're saying Corey is a secret agent for the U.S. and that he pretended to defect several years ago to work for the other side? Precisely, Mr. Kent, a double agent or mole in our parlance, which brings me, which brings me to the events of yesterday. And so they continue telling him, he says, of course, I'm not at liberty to go into specifics. They say, we understand. And he says, of course, we can't let on that Clark told us the whole story yesterday with all the specifics. Uh, he just basically goes over the dart that hit uh, Jonathan. Um, and so moments later, they're outside again. He says, and were it not for the urgent nature of Corey's present mission, he would have stopped here himself. It's apparent you two must have had a profound influence on Corey. He thinks very highly, highly of you, Mr. and Mrs. Kent. And they say, well, the feeling is more than mutual. And uh, so away they go. Um, Jonathan Kent, you should see the smile on your face. You're grinning from ear to ear. And he says, you know something, Martha Kent? So are you. We're looking awfully proud of ourselves, aren't we? And she says, why not? How many parents can boast they raise not one, but two boys to be heroes? Aw. Uh, I actually was expecting there to be like a, you know, they said, you you won't believe who it is. Well, I guess, yeah, we won't believe that it was actually someone that the Kents had, had fostered before, but I was expecting it to be sort of a, uh, you know, oh, look, it's Deathstroke. It's not Deathstroke. Uh, anyway, um... So, the Misadventures of Super Baby. Um, oh, see, if I'd done this a couple of weeks ago, it would have been uh, Easter, and that would have been fine. It is uh, The Scrambled Egg Hunt. Uh, Bob Rosakis, uh, writer. Uh, John Callanan and Dave Hunt are the artists. John Costanz is the letter, letterer. Uh, Jerry Serpy is the colorist, and Julia Schwartz is the editor. And basically, there's a prize for the eggs. But Clark is not allowed to use his superpowers. That's important. No running at super speed, no lifting heavy things, and especially no flying. So he says, okay, Daddy. And uh, and so away they go to, um, uh, you know, uh, Officer Parker says, remember, boys and girls, the prize goes to the one who finds the most hidden eggs. Anyone who fights or cheats will be disqualified or can't play anymore. Now get ready, get set. And away they go. Uh, hurry, find those eggs. Hurry, will he find those eggs? Yay for Lana. Um, so away they go. And Clark's found a couple. He's got five, actually. And um, Willie says, how many do you have, uh, uh, Lana? And she says, I don't know. I can't count that high. And she's got a whole bunch. And she and says, ooh, Lana got a million eggs. And uh, and Clark says, huh, you got to look harder. And he says, maybe eggs hidden around the tree. And um, a couple of hoods around the uh, other, around the other side of the fence say, "Hey, look, Frank. One of them kids is nosing around the oak." He says, "So what? No way any of them is gonna g dig up the ice we buried there when we were on the lamb." Oh, that's look and listen to that. Yeah, see, take a drink. Uh, he says, "Yeah, we'll hang around till everybody goes home and then recover the loot." It was smart keeping our eggs all in one basket, safely buried under that tree. And he goes, and uh, Clark hears this, of course, because. Um, he can't control his super hearing. And he says, hmm, somebody say that eggs buried under tree? Um, me pick it up and look. And he remembers Jonathan saying, no lifting up heavy things. He's like, oops, me better not do that or daddy be mad. And uh, so he can see the eggs in the ground because, of course, he doesn't quite understand his uh, x-ray vision yet. 
and uh, he says, me dig up lots of eggs and win prize. This red egg, so little, must be baby egg, and he's holding up a little gem. And they're like, hey, the kid dug up one of our rocks. What are we going to do? And he says, I'll show you. And he says, oh, little boy, come over here. we got a surprise for you. And Clark says, me love surprises. So that egg is too small to count in your score, but I'll tell, but I, because I like you, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll give you a shiny new quarter for it. And he goes, oh, boy, me could buy lots of lollipops and ice cream with it. He says, me do it. Here, give me quarter. And he says, that a boy. Now, you're a smart boy. Now, listen, if you find any more of them tiny eggs over there, we'll give you more coins for them. He says, ha, we won't have to wait to collect the loot. That dumb kid will do it for us. I'm right under the cop's nose. We'll trade the kid a couple of bucks in exchange for 50 grand worth of gems. Talk about cheating the law. And, um... And Clark hears all this, and he says, The mans are cheating, but Policeman Parker said cheaters can't play anymore. Me tell Daddy. And um, so, you know, away he goes to do that. Um, and uh, there's Clark, and he says, uh, he says, Daddy, me need help. And he says, Sorry, son, we aren't allowed to help you. That'd be cheating. You'll have to do this all by yourself. And he says, Me don't want to cheat. So me find a way to tell Policeman Parker about how bad mans are cheating. And so he goes over with more gems, and he says, uh, look, Mr. Man's more eggs, but he's actually got eggs. And they say, no, kid, uh, we don't want that kind. They're too big. And he says, but they're pretty. Me give them to you. And he says, nah, we don't want those eggs. We only want the shiny ones buried by that tree. And as he's doing this, Clark holds up the megaphone. And so you hear the, the crook saying, we only want the shiny ones buried by the tree. And that catches uh, Parker's attention. And um, he says, Frank, that bullhorn blasted your words all over the park. He says, here comes the cop. We better cut out of here. He said, running away. Whatever those two are up to, it can't be anything legal. Stop, in the name of the law. And they say, go get him, Officer Parker. That's uh, some of the parents. He says, they've got too much of a head start. I can't catch up to them. And Clark says, me got to stop them. But if me fly after them, daddy get mad. Me stop them another way. So um, he kind of sucks in his breath and that that grabs the hold of the two bad guys and pulls them back and um right into uh into uh officer parker's uh waiting uh arms and um seven and whoops and uh, oh uh, i think i missed the last page anyway i'm sure it all goes well yeah um yeah so super baby catches the bad guys everybody wins i'm just assuming because i'm missing the last page but you know that's how it goes right because it's always the way it goes so that's uh, another super baby story we had super uh, super boy and uh so i'm gonna use this time to wrap it up um, one of the things we are going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, of course, we will get back to uh, the Superboy and the Legion stuff, but we're also going to take a look at Rebirth because Saturn Girl has been making a show up there. And um, and so what we'll do is we'll see if we can talk about the first two issues of The Button. And um, and uh, that definitely needs to wait until we've, there's a couple of issues under our belt with it because the first one, um, while it has some, some big deal stuff in it, it uh, is, you know... Let's say decompressed. So, comments as always are welcome at Legion of Substitute Podcast at gmail.com. You can join the conversation on our Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. We are on the Twitter. We are LOSB Podcast. And in addition to all these things, you can head over to our website, legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com, where you can leave a comment on this or any episode. And with that, we make our way back into the time bubble. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>